Thomas said to him, the one usually asking the question, great question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? That's the question. What's the way to heaven? What's the way to the place of the Father? Where are you going? How do we get there? And Jesus had spent the last three years teaching them about his kingdom. And now he tells them he's going to leave them. And they've staked their hopes in him. They've staked their future, their dreams in him. And now he's leaving them. I mean, you've got to just put yourself in their shoes how deeply unsettling this has to feel. Right? Goodbyes are hard, are they not? But they're really hard when you don't know when that person's coming back. I just dropped my wife off at the airport earlier this week, and she was going on a little girls' getaway to Denver and have some fun together. Women just to get away, partying together and having fun together. And, uh, and so it was easy to say goodbye this week because I knew she was coming back today, you know? At least we hope that the airlines were wondering maybe a bit, but... But if I was saying goodbye to her and I didn't know when she was coming back, that moment would have killed me, right? And that was what was going on with Jesus. And so Jesus comforts them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> trust God now. Trust me. I'm going away, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and take you to be with me forever and ever. Now, we got to understand here that this is deeply emotional and romantic language. Um, and the disciples would have recognized this. You and I don't recognize this because we're in today's culture in America. But in the first century, when a couple was betrothed to be married, and the marriage had been arranged, which it was commonly, and a bride price was paid, the young man would then go away, usually to his father's house, to put a, a wing on his father's house, to prepare a place for his bride. That's what he would do, and he would spend many months, sometimes a year or two, in the more challenging situations. But when he was finished preparing that place he would come back to get his bride and take her to be with him in the new place that he had built. And this is romantic language. And Jesus is saying to them, and they would have recognized this, I have the love of a husband for his bride for you. <laughs> An unrelenting commitment to their goodness and happiness, singular and passionate, protective Right? Those of us who are husbands, we know how this feels. You can mess with me all day long, but don't you dare mess with my bride. And that's Jesus toward us. And you can imagine these first century husbands, sometimes 16 and 17-year-olds going away, and they want to impress their bride, baby, right? And they're building this castle. <laughs> or they think it is. Coming back. And this is the picture. Here comes Jesus as the bridegroom for us. <laughs> He's gone away. Infinite resources, perfect love, building something to his glory. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is prepared for us as those who are his bride? Revelation 21 and 22 takes a big swing at it, and we have a sense that the author just doesn't have the words to holy 
speak of what will happen. But Jesus is saying, don't worry, I'm coming back because I love you like a husband loves his bride. That's the text. Now I want to swing back and talk about the importance of this question. How do we get to heaven? How do we get there? This is a critical question, maybe the most important question that can be asked. And I often picture of it this way. I've sometimes done this here in this setting. If you took a, a rope and strung it from this wall all the way across to this wall and just clipped it on both ends and let that rope represent the time of the next billion years, okay? How much of that rope would be our lives that we're living today? You know, like, you probably can't come up with a small enough fraction of an inch. It's like, let's just say a half an inch, right? A half an inch is this life today, and all the rest of it is the next billion years. But the Bible teaches us that what we do in that little half an inch impacts all of the rest of it. And how important that is now to get that half inch right as his people and as those who are considering who Jesus is. I, I find the shortness of life right, just deeply troubling. I want it to go longer than it is. Right? Even these moments that I deeply enjoy, picnics with my wife or concerts on the hill up at Deer Valley or, or just walks at night by myself in my neighborhood, I go, oh my gosh, this is a limited amount of times that I'm going to get to do this yet in the future. Time is almost like an enemy now. But the Bible tells us that when we pass into eternity with faith in Jesus, right, there will not be any limits there will not be an end. It will go on and on and on. And we can enjoy all the beauty and the goodness of God and his people forever and ever. And so we got to get this first half inch right. So how do we get there? How do we get ourselves into the presence of God? Into a place where the Bible says our pleasures forevermore. I mean, this is the aim of our Sunday morning is to give you just a little taste of it. To whet your appetite. To bring you into the presence of God and worship to enjoy him. You come ready, anticipating his blessing and sing and worship and lift him up with his people. There's nothing like it. And then to hear from his word, he has something to say to you. Do you know what? God wants to talk to you today. Isn't that unbelievable? The creator of the universe has something to say to you as this preacher preaches. That's pretty amazing. And the sweet fellowship of being together. This is just a little taste, right? For what we will have in all eternity with a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin and we can just enjoy a perfect place forever and ever together. And so Thomas is pretty wise in saying, how do I get there, right? I, I want to get there. How do I get there? That's what he's after. And so Jesus comes with an answer. This is part two. Jesus' answer. <clears throat> Verse five, second half, Thomas says, how can we know the way? Here's the answer. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's the answer to the question. How do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So all you need to be certain and secure that you will get to the Father is to put your faith in Jesus. And only, only in Jesus. I mean, it's a simple statement. It's a simple answer. Bold, for sure. Direct, for sure. And really controversial in our culture, right? For sure. But it couldn't be clearer that Jesus is the way to heaven. We live in a day of lots of conflicting voices. Many people saying, this is the way. Go this way, right? Believe this person, believe this faith system, don't believe any faith system, <laughs> right? Whatever. Lots of options. And our world, as we know it, tends to say they're all equally good. We call this pluralism, right? Every way is a way, every way is equally a good way. But Jesus goes, that isn't true. There is only one way, and I'm the way. My wife and I, a while back, traveled to Mexico, and uh, <clears throat> as we arrived and leaving the airport, we walked kind of a gauntlet. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, where everybody is trying to tell you to take their ride to where you're going. Have you had this experience? I mean, they're all yelling. They jump in your face, and they get, they're coming after you, and they, we're told, look for the guy with the orange hat. So we're like going... And my wife got distracted by one person. She started to believe somebody else. Like, I said, Mary doesn't have an orange hat on. Oh, but he's telling us the truth. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not the way. <laughs> We've got to get to the guy with the orange hat. And this is going on for quite some time. And I'm thinking, here's what I need. I need someone who knows the way, right? I need someone who's telling me the truth. And I need someone who can get me there safely, right? That's what I need. And i got to find that guy. Wherever he is, I'm looking for him, right? Finally found the guy with the orange hat. It was good news. Like, we were very happy. But Jesus said, when you're traveling to heaven, here's the pathway, right? You need someone that's the way, someone that speaks the truth, and someone who can get you there safely, right? Same thing. Like any, this is just wise travel. And Jesus is the way. He knows the way to the Father. The Bible says he is one with the Father. He kept telling his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you get it yet? He came from the Father. He's one with the Father. He was the way. Furthermore, he speaks the truth. He keeps his promises. I mean, Jesus made all kinds of crazy claims. Didn't he? And then he backed them up. Like he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Yeah. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> right? He does it. He says, I'm the bread of life. Really? Then he feeds 5,000 people with a little kid's lunch. <laughs> he just backs up everything he says. He says, in me is life. 
crucified him, hoping he would stay dead, and he rose from the dead. And it's alive forevermore that if we are in him, we will be alive forevermore with him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the perfect traveling person. Who else can do this? See? Think about it. Who else can get us to heaven? They're the way, they're the truth, and the life. Nobody but Jesus. He's the only one that can fulfill those requirements of safe traveling there. Hence, right, the next statement is obvious. No one comes to the Father but through him. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And people get upset at this. This bothers them that Jesus would make such a statement. But he is the only one who's qualified. Why be upset? Let's just admit the facts. He is the risen Christ and the Savior. He's the only one that can get us there. So rather than being upset, let's do what he says. Trust in him. Believe him. Give our lives to him. So I want to spend the next um, several minutes talking about Jesus as the only way. And the inclusive invitation that goes out to all of humanity. The clear teaching of scripture is that Jesus is the only way to God. And the Bible is quite clear, I believe, in how you get on that pathway. John 3.16 will do, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to believe, right? And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so Jesus came, he died, he rose again. And the Bible says when we declare him Lord of our lives and believe that he is risen, trusting in him for our salvation, we are saved. And we need to let the Bible be our guide in this. There's all kinds of directions and words that people would tell us to get us what they think is the way to God, but don't take anybody's word. Take God's word. That we can trust. And he says, if you have accepted Jesus and given your life to him, and there's fruit in your life that you've trusted him, you are saved. But the Bible also says, and these are harder words, that if you reject Jesus and refuse to surrender your life to him as Lord, John 3.18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 36 of that same chapter, chapter 3 of John, says he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. These are hard words. And the Bible teaches that the person who is condemned, as this verse says, experiences an everlasting destruction. 2 Timothy 2, 9. We see Jesus telling this horrifying story of Lazarus, the poor man, and then a rich man um, that was also in the story, both having deceased, and Lazarus goes uh, to be with the father, 
and the rich man is in torment, um, and there is no way of getting across the, the boundary. He is there forever. Yeah, these, are, these are frightening texts, and I, and I think they should frighten us. And I think they're sobering texts, and they should sober us. In fact, these are blessed texts, and they are a blessing to us, because they warn us. A God of love would warn us what it looks like if we reject him, would he not? And for us to understand God's hatred of sin and his just punishment of it is a grace to us. And that teaching, and we know this to be true, that teaching has caused millions to flee to Jesus. Right? This truth, this glorious truth, causes people to flee to Jesus. And many have saved and found him to be a loving, good, gracious, amazing God as they fled from the possibility of the punishment of their sin. This is a good thing. This is a gracious thing that God is teaching us about. And we ought not to back away from it. Because how many of our friends might not turn to Jesus if we don't hear, let them hear a little bit about God's justice towards sin. Right? I know personally in my life, even to this day, that this teaching has kept me from many, many destructive sins. Because I look at the first step down that path, and that first step looks pretty good, right? But I draw that line out and see where that takes me if I just stay on that path for the rest of my life. And that scares me to death. And I go, I'm not going down that path, right? This teaching has kept me, even to this day, commonly, away from things that would be destructive to me. Jesus said, fear the one who can throw your body into hell. Don't fear man. Luke 12, 5. Now, those are two pretty clear things. Here's how you are saved. Here's what happens if you don't trust Jesus. But there's a lot of questions that Christians wrestle with that are less clear, I think. For example, um, what happens to little babies, infants, who die? What happens to people who have never heard about Jesus and never had the chance to trust him as Savior because they've never heard the gospel? What happens to people who have been taught wrongly all their lives, believing there is a good God, but been in a place where they only heard things that were not true about him, did their best to follow him, but only heard things that weren't honest and true. What happens to those people? And, and it's really important to say a, a number of things here, but we need to be certain about things that are clear in Scripture, and we need to be less certain about things that are less clear in Scripture, okay? That's really important. So, so let me just say a few things here. First of all, God gets to make the call. <laughs> he is judge and we are not. And that's a really good thing, right? In, in the famous scene in the movie Rudy, Rudy is struggling. He wants to be a football player at Notre Dame, and he's really struggling with his life. It's not going well, and so he's really burdened. So he goes and sees the priest explaining his troubled life, and the priest says to Rudy, there are two incontrovertible facts that I know of. One is, there is a God, and two is, I'm not him. <laughs> And that's right. So, 
we leave judgment up to God. But I think we can say this, based on his character, and a lot of things we can say in these areas based on his character, that he will be more gracious and more loving and more righteous and just than any of us ever would be. He will be good because that's who he is to the core. And I believe, based on that, that we are going to be surprised by the myriads that we find in heaven because <laughs> our God is gracious. Let's just talk, just as for an example, just a minute about infants. <clears throat> Somebody who's too young to really understand the gospel or respond to it. When a subject is not directly addressed in scripture, right, we, we build our answers on what we know to be true, right? And we know that God is just, we know that he's loving, and we know that he is gracious. And therefore, it is my conviction, looking at all those pieces of who God is, that he will gather those children to himself, even though they haven't had a chance to understand the gospel in these terms. <clears throat> but let me also say this, for those of us who live in America, we live in a country where Bibles fall off the shelf. We, we look at we, all these, these Bibles that are all torn up and shredded, and we go, what do we do with them? Like, do we throw them out? Right? This is where we are in America. There's so many Bibles, we don't even know what to do with all of them. We have the gospel at our fingertips everywhere we go. There are churches that preach the gospel probably in every town in this country, or at least close to it. It seems to me we're going to be without very few excuses when we stand before Jesus if we reject him. This is a country where we've been blessed and we ought to respond to the gospel. So, <clears throat> here is the gospel's message. There is a God in heaven and he loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And we should look upon that cross and we're going to hear in a moment as we take communion together and see in that cross how offensive our sin is, first of all. It is so offensive that it cost God's son his life. Let that melt our hearts about what our sin does to the heart of God. And let it break. And let it bring you to repentance. What a gracious gift that would be. To see in that cross, and we should look at it regularly. This is the purpose of communion, I think, in part. So we look at the cross and repent. This is a holy God who needed to sacrifice his son so that we could be accepted. And was glad to do it because he loved us so much. Let us see there his love for us. Not only the gravity of our sin, but the amazing love of God. And then not only repent because it cost him his life, but then receive his love freely given in Jesus on the cross. And when we look at the cross and we receive it for ourselves, we let it melt our hearts. We repent and we believe and we receive the love of God shown there. The Bible says that we are made brand new. We are new creatures in Christ. Forever forgiven, forever accepted, forever children of the King. The bride of Christ has been already described. 
We are new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so the only true way to live and the only true way to be fully alive is to give your life to Jesus. It's the only way. He says, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. He says, my truth, when you receive it, will set you free. You don't want to miss this incredible love relationship that God invites everyone in the world to. To come, repent, and believe, and trust his son, and receive his love. And to get then to serve the king of kings for all your life. You want purpose in your life? (laughs) Serve King Jesus. The one who created the world, through whom the world was created, the Bible says. And to live for anything else is a complete and utter waste of your life. But then, right? Band, you can come on up. But then, God invites us, having received him in the same text in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are now his ambassadors. That we get to put that love on display by the way we live and by the way we act and by the way we speak. And so we're to live our lives in ways, having received that grace and having received that love, to show it and pour it out on others. Right? Don't live in a way that repels people from Jesus. Right? Don't be those Christians that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know, they're always kind of got a scowl on their face and they're miserable creatures. Come on. Jesus loves you. He is for you. Let that be known and seen and appreciated by those around you to serve him and be gracious in your talk and show his love in all that you say and do. I was talking to uh, Tono's dad. Where'd Tono go? Oh, you, you went up here. You, you moved on me, Tono. Marco and uh, Marco was telling me about this experience he'd had in 1986 in Amsterdam had gathered as a group of evangelists from around the world um, to be encouraged to be witnesses for Jesus in 200 different languages. 200 different languages were spoken. There would be a speaker, there would be translators across the back that were receiving those words and translating it into the language of the hearers into ear sets that they would hear their language. That sounds like Pentecost. 200 different languages being heard all at the same time. And he was telling me about this great event. And I said, I was there. I was. He goes, well, I didn't see you. (laughs) And it was a precious time. We celebrated communion together as the nations. It was the closest thing to heaven I've ever been a part of. 200 nations celebrating the gospel together. And the things that I learned that day, probably knew intellectually, but then I felt, was that the gospel is for all people. This is an inclusive gospel. It's not an exclusive gospel. It's an inclusive gospel. It's a gospel for the nations that anybody, whoever they are, wherever they live, whatever their ethnicity, that will believe in Jesus are given eternal life and get to dwell with the Father forever and ever. But second of all, there was a joy in that room that was indescribable. 
And I thought, how many, what, what other thing could be said that would bring so many people with so many nationalities so much joy? And the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus. And then I sensed the deep call in their hearts to be on mission as they would leave, to go and share that gospel with their friends and neighbors around the world. And so here we are this morning all these same opportunities really to open our hearts to his love and forgiveness to turn from our sin that can be so deeply harmful to us and to surrender all to him to be on mission for him with our lives and that's the call in our lives this morning and so we will just take a moment here and bow our heads and our hearts before King Jesus Let's just get things right with him, and we're coming toward communion. And so let's, let's, first of all, know his love, right? Receive his love, his grace. Confess your sin.